1: Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money Your Wealth. Joey Anderson here, certified financial planner um, with uh, Big Al Clopine. He is a CPA. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, check us out at purefinancial.com. Purefinancial.com. Hey, I got something for you all. What do you got? Let's say this is another analogy. Okay. All right. And you know we we talk about rational investing versus irrational, and most people are irrational when it comes to investing, but rational in basic. Well, most people are, you know, pretty rational in every other in aspect other of areas, their life. In other
2: areas, yeah. Well, I, I'd say they're even rational investing. It's just that their emotions tell them to do the wrong thing.
1: So let's say I have uh, ten cards, playing cards. Okay. All right. Can you vision ten playing cards? I can. All right. I have five that are black. And I five that are red, Okay. all right? And so we don't know, but I'm telling you, we have 10 cards, five red, five black. And they're all face down, Okay. all right? And so if you were have to bet a dollar on drawing a red card, what would be the odds of you drawing that card? So 50-50. All right. So you have five red cards, five blacks. So the odds of drawing that red card is 50-50 you're pretty good at math. Yeah, though.
2: so far so good.
1: So would you take that bet?
2: Uh, it's a push. I mean, it's there it's, yeah, probably not.
1: You want fifty percent <laughs> chance of winning, fifty percent chance of losing. I'm an accountant. So you want to place that bet? Nah. Oh my god. <laughs> Deb, would you place that bet? 50% she, chance of winning. The producer says, "Yeah." Yes, okay. So now, now, let me
2: let me rephrase that. If it's in Vegas, sure, because you know you're going to lose there probably. So, yeah. So, I'll go along with you. You got a
1: 50-50 shot. All right, listeners, who's with me? <laughs> who's who's with me taking that bet? The accountants are not. It's not with a them. bad bet, right? You'll take it. All right. So, now Al's playing the game. So let's say Al draws a black card instead of a red card. Okay. All right. So we now have nine cards left. Would you place another bet? To get a to get a red? Yes. Yes, because now it's more than 50 Okay. Al's ready to go. Now, now, he's going to place another dollar. I'm, I'm now in. So now he's in. Let's say you pull another card. Boom. It's black. Yes. Now at this point, what do you think? Are you going to place another bet? Of uh, course. Alright, so now he's saying of course. Now he's getting aggressive. Anytime we get over fifty percent I'm in. There well, now there's eight cards left. Five are red. Right? Yeah. Just a couple are so black. Five eighths chance of
2: uh of getting a win.
1: Right. In fact, you're probably not you probably want a bit more than a dollar now, don't you? Yeah. I'll I'll do five. Five bucks. Alright. If I lose again, how about you play one more time? Yeah. You didn't draw red, you draw another black. Okay. You are gonna play again? Yes. Now, what are you going to bet? 100 bucks. Boom! All right. So Al's getting into it now. So that's a way a rational person thinks. Even Al caught on there. <laughs> that's right. That's the way you might think when you're being calm and rational. What most calm stock investors would say hey, I just lost three times in a row, right? I'm not getting in the stock market ever again.
2: Yes, we do hear that all the time. It does, the stock market's rigged. It doesn't work.
1: Well, right, because, all right, I invested once, lost. Invested twice, lost. Invested three times, lost. Never again. Never again. Right. Is that rational? That is simply not rational. As the market declines, we're buying the same great companies at a discount. So now is the time to invest. People that invest, if they pulled two reds twice in a row, they'd say to themselves, wow, this is easy. I'm getting red cards all the time, and then they would bet more. Sure. So if I went back to that same example, instead of pulling black, you pulled two or three reds in a row, would you continue to play the game?
2: Yeah, no, I'm out. Yeah, you're out. Yeah.
1: Right? As soon as you probably pulled one red with your math. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I, I want more than a 50%. Yes. So when the markets go down, the higher chance of you getting a higher expected return is the highest, right? That's true. And so- That's a good way to look at it. Y- you have to understand that markets go up and markets go down. And I teach retirement planning courses all over Southern California. And now I'm saying, all right, markets are uh, pr- approaching all-time highs or they are at all-time highs. How many of you will agree with me that the markets will correct at some point? Everyone raises their hand. Yeah, I could see that. Sure. All right. So markets are at all-time highs. What happens next? The markets will correct. And then what will happen after it corrects? It will reach all-time highs. Does everyone agree with me? Yes, everyone agrees with me. So we, we know it's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It has happened since the beginning of the stock market. It happens to us. It happened to your father. It probably happened to your grandfather. But what are we going to do the next time it happens? Yeah,
2: right? it's going to go down and we're going to sell. We're going to sell. Because c- the market doesn't work. Because it's different this time.
1: <laughs> right? It's, That's what we hear, right? Right, because it's different this time. But here, you have to make sure that you take a look at your portfolio right now to see how much risk that you're taking on. Are you heavily weighted in U.S. companies that are at all-time highs? Should you be globally diversified? When the market is down internationally, it's like, well, I don't want to invest internationally. Well, everything that you use every day of your life is from probably an international company, right? If I had a pencil in my hand, right? You take a look at the pencil.
2: Yeah, where was it made? Where
1: was it made, right? <laughs> it's all over the place. The tin is from, I don't know, the, from Brazil, the graphite from Canada, the wood from the USA, whatever. Right? It's diversification, and you want to make sure that you're diversified. And I know that even though what the, 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 the crazy terrorism that's going on, Um, negative interest rates that are going on, Um, it it puts fear in us that maybe we shouldn't invest in particular areas. And that's the wrong, I think, attitude to have. And even really smart people um, that are selling, let's say, a U.S. growth strategy, what are they telling you? No, stay out of international.
2: Right, because it doesn't perform well. And you know what, Joe? In the last two, three years, four years, that's true. But is that gonna happen forever? And that's the whole point. And here's another one. Small companies and value companies are, tend to outperform large and growth over the long term. But we haven't seen that the last few years. So does that mean that we abandon that strategy? No, it still works if you give it enough time. And that's where patience is really
1: important. Patience is key. Um, I don't want you to take my word for it. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get Larry Swedro on the line um, and talk about valuations when it comes to the bond market, when it comes to the stock market, when it comes to international stocks, emerging market stocks, U.S. stocks. And hopefully then you can get a little bit more sophistication in your overall strategy to say, you know what, I should be globally diversified. The global market capitalization of the U.S. is not 100% of the overall market. It's about 40%. Right? U.S., maybe it's a little bit higher than that. It's close to, what, 50%. Right. So you're missing 50% of the, the other side of the coin. Right. When you look at global market yeah. capitalization, if you're not investing internationally, I think you're missing on a big key component of diversification.
2: Yeah, and what's interesting, Joe, about that, and, and the academic uh, stats uh, and analysis uh, bears this out, is you don't necessarily make any more money with international companies compared to domestic companies, but they tend to go up and down at slightly different times than the U.S. stock market. And what you're trying to do when it comes to in, an investing, particularly when it's your retirement nest egg, is have some non-correlation. Some things are going up, some, some things are going down, but they're not all going down at the same time, right? They go up and down at different points, and it means that you end up with a less volatile ride. And that's the key. Now, certain kinds of international, like companies that are in, um, in a, emerging countries we call it emerging markets so brazil china and so forth they tend to have an even higher expected return but that's even more volatile right so you just have to understand these different asset classes have different characteristics and then they can kind of fit together And when they're all together, then you have true global asset diversification. And you have actually a a smoother ride than if you were just riding the S&P 500, for example.
1: Um, Most definitely. Because a lot of you right now have questions. It's like, okay, well, now that the US markets are at all time highs, what should you do? Should you continue to invest in the overall stock market in the US? Should you get out? You know, And then, but I think more importantly, you've got to put the other pieces in your retirement puzzle together. Like how and when should you claim your Social Security benefits? How much should you withdraw from your retirement accounts every year, and avoid what could be thousands of taxes, penalties, and fees, or how you could prevent an illness, um, you know, from becoming a financial catastrophe?
0: This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Uh, Joe Anderson here, Certified Financial Planner, uh, Big Al Klopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, got Larry Swedger, good friend, Larry Swedger on the line. Uh, Larry, welcome back. It's been a month and a half, and I tell you what, there's been more news in the last month and a half than I think uh, probably the whole year in general with this whole Brexit and everything else in between. Well, Joe, that
3: just shows how short our memories are. You're just susceptible to everybody <laughs> as everybody else is to recency because you forget how in February, maybe, how the markets had collapsed then and there was plenty of news. But, yeah, we certainly have had more than our share fair news in the last month.
1: Yeah, I love it. Five seconds in, Larry's already kind of telling me how. <laughs> that I'm kind of an idiot. Hey, so um, Larry and I were talking before the break, and um, it's kind of a weird environment that we're in with stock prices and, and, and given interest rates. I mean, interest rates are what at all time lows. What's the ten year treasury? A, a, a point and a half, and we got all, pretty high pretty high valuations when it comes to stocks.
3: Yeah, we have uh, one uh, all time lows uh, for the ten year treasury. Uh, currently, it's about 136, so uh, setting records. And even the 30 year, believe it or not, is down to 2.1%. And so, uh, uh, and along with that, we have very high historical stock valuations, at least in the U.S., uh, what's called the Schiller Cyclically Adjusted Price Earnings Ratio, or the CAPE 10. Uh, is at a level of 26, uh, which is way above the historical average of 17. And that's the best predictor we have of future expected returns. So I'll just do a little quick math for your listeners, Joe. Uh, Historically, stocks, both international and U.S., got 10, bonds about 5.5. So a typical 60-40 portfolio would have gotten you somewhere in the neighborhood of 8%. Well, today, uh, with the Schiller K-10 at 26, that projects to roughly a 4% expected real return to U.S. stocks, because you take the inverse of the P.E. gives you an earnings yield. So let's just round it and call it 4%. Uh, add 2% maybe for inflation, you're at 6%. And if you have an average bond portfolio of five years, today the five-year Treasury is 1%. So if you're a U.S. investor and getting 60 percent of your portfolio going to return 6 percent and 40 percent going to return one, boy, you know, you're talking about a 4 percent return, which is half the nominal, uh, 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 you know, uh, return that uh, the typical 60-40 portfolio has earned over the last 90 years. So. Uh, that's a real problem for many investors who make the mistake of relying on historical returns. They'll likely to end up alive with no money.
1: Looking at all-time low Treasury yields, help our listeners figure out what the heck is going on, and, and why do you believe that now is the time where you know it's we, we hit this historical mark.
3: Well, uh, clearly there are problems in the global economy. The credit markets are telling us a different story than the stock markets. They think that economic growth is very weak and likely to continue to be very weak. Uh, the stock market, on the other hand, at least in the U.S., where valuations are high, you know, one assumes then that the market thinks growth is going to be somewhat reasonable. In my experience of 40 years, whenever you have that disconnect, it's much more likely to be true that the bond market is the correct forecaster. And the reason is the bond market is dominated by institutional investors where individuals can still drive stock prices. Uh, And what's happened here is the exceptionally low level of interest rates all around the globe – Uh, And with negative interest rates in Europe, they're all flocking here to buy U.S. Treasuries as well, driving our rates lower than they would be otherwise. Uh, What you've got is individual investors, particularly those who make the mistake of being what I call a cash flow investor. So they try to live off their interest income and dividends instead of a total return approach, which uh, I know you and I follow and recommend for our clients. You know, those investors are saying, my God, I can't live on a 1% yield on my five-year you know, bonds. Uh, so they're stretching and taking a lot more risks than they should buying things like dividend-paying stocks, junk bonds, preferred stocks I see, uh, you know, people flooding, too. And they forget that all of those things, if we get another bad economic event, Like we had in 2008, will collapse. All of them fell 25 to 50, 60%, or even more in the case of things like emerging market bonds. So I'm very concerned that investors are losing discipline, and the Federal Reserve has thrown the savers under the bus in their efforts to try to stimulate the economy, which have not been successful, by the
1: way. Hey, I think you bring up a a great point where. And you know, what the individual investors and our clients is looking at? Well, why would I ever invest in bonds when you don't receive any yield? There's no income, so they're taking on way more risk than I think they they realize until something's going to happen.
3: Exactly. You know, the strategy of say replacing dividend, uh, uh, sorry, uh, replacing safe bonds. Uh, today you can buy a 10-year CD at about 2.3%. That's a lot better than a 10-year Treasury at one36 So, But still not great and tough for many people to live on. Certainly they didn't plan on rates being that low. So then they go and buy things like REITs, which have higher yields, or utility stocks, or junk bonds, preferred stocks, etc., not realizing that those things are highly risky when the risk shows up. So it's like throwing pennies in front of a steamroller. You know, you can keep running out and picking up those pennies, you know, 99 times out of 100, you're safe. And then one time you slip and your shoelace gets caught and you're, you know, steamrolled over (laughs) and you're gone. And that's what exactly what can happen to these investors who are making these mistakes. Uh, I've written a piece just the other day because I had a lot of people calling me about preferred stocks. And I pointed out how miserably they did. While safe bonds were going up 15%, 20% in 2008, depending upon maturity, these things were dropping 25% uh, in that same period. So they underperformed by almost 50%. And so people are stretching for a few more percent of yield while taking on that massive risk. What they need to understand are bonds are not for return. They are to dampen the risk of the overall portfolio to an acceptable level. And if you want or need higher returns, take it in equities and shift your equity allocation, say, away from the U.S., where the expected real return is about 4 percent because the CAPE 10 is 26. You can get in the non-U.S. developed markets closer to about a 7% expected real return. So add inflation to that, and you're up to, say, 9 by investing in those countries because the CAPE 10 is roughly uh, 16 or so. Uh, And in emerging markets, the CAPE 10 is about 12.5 or so, uh, maybe even a bit less, that gives you an expected real return closer to nine percent before inflation. Um so you know, you're up in eleven or something like that after uh considering them you know, uh, as a nominal return. That's way more than the U.S.'s. So there are alternatives, and, of course, you can also tilt to more small and value stocks.
1: You know, I think you bring up a good point, and we're going to take a break. And When we come back, I want to um, quiz you, Larry, or ask you, um, you know, we got this election coming up, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions. Should I stay on the sidelines until we figure it out, or should we load up, or what should we do? So I want to get your opinion on what our listeners should do, given this... Kind of unusual um, election uh, cycle that we're kind of in this year. So don't go anywhere. We're talking to Larry Swedro. show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll be back in just a second.
0: Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760, AFMB.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al Clopine, and uh, our good friend Larry Swedro is online. Um, hey, Larry, what, what do you feel about this election? It's a, a little unorthodox, to say the least.
3: Yeah, uh, and I generally stay away from politics. On uh, so, I'll just make one comment. But I do have uh, some insights that can be very helpful and help your listeners avoid mistakes. I think the Republicans have nominated the only person who could possibly lose. Hillary Clinton, and the Democrats have nominated the only person who could possibly lose to Donald Trump. So that that's my one comment about the upcoming election.
1: But here's,
3: whatever your political views are, I think it's important that you hear this message. What the academic research shows is the following. When the party you favor is in power, you earn higher returns than the people from the opposing party. Now, you might wonder why that's the case, uh, that, for example, uh, in 2000 to 2008, I would tell you that Republicans were better investors, earned higher returns than Democrats, and in from 2008 through 2016, then Democrats earned higher returns than Republicans. And I have my own ad- anecdotal evidence to support it, but there's actually academic research, and I'm wondering, Joe, if you can tell us what you think the answer is, yeah. why that's true.
1: Well, here's my guess, is this, is that let's say if, if uh, my party's in office, I probably feel more confident within the overall party, so I believe that the economy is going to be stronger, so I might have a little bit more discipline?
3: Give the man a gold star, pull it out. That's exactly <laughs> the case. Uh, and for your listeners, I didn't prep uh, him with that, so uh... uh... but that's true what happens is under george bush after nine-one-one republicans were more likely to believe that we would get out of that crisis uh, in a way that would be positive and they therefore were less susceptible to panic selling and in the oh eight crisis the reverse was true i can tell you joe and i'm wondering you can you know uh... Let me know your your own experiences. But I can literally tell you that every single person I spoke to in 08 and 09 that was calling, worried, and was likely to panic sell was a Republican who was convinced that the Obama administration would push us into the next Great Depression.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, right before the election, it's like, okay, well, who gets elected? And more Republicans were... You know, wanting to go into um, or, or do something different with their overall portfolio in case a Democrat was going to be um, a- elected into office. Absolutely.
3: That's exactly what I saw, and I saw the reverse in two thousand 2002. So for your listeners, it's important to not let your political biases or your political views uh, influence your decision. You could be sure that Warren Buffett, is not making investment decisions based upon his political views. He didn't panic and sell in 2002 just because George Bush got elected and he was a Democrat. In fact, he was a big buyer. And he didn't let the election in '08 or 09 change his views. He stuck with his discipline to be a buyer when everyone else is panic selling.
1: So, wrapping this up, is that, all right, well, we have high valuations in stocks. We have all-time low interest rates. At least in the U.S. Let's be careful here.
3: The valuations on stocks are only high relative to historical average. In international markets, they are at or below their historical averages, which means the markets think they're relatively more risky, but that translates, of course, into the lower prices, which means – higher future expected return
1: and and i think that's where i was going to come to you is that right now and i'm sure you're hearing this too larry is that well why on earth would i ever invest in international emerging market stocks there i mean there's so much bad news over there or they're down they lost a lot of money and i think that's the best opportunity to buy but these us individuals um, are emotional creatures and we continue to do the same mistakes because of the headline noise i believe
3: you're absolutely right, and let's help them by giving them a good example. Uh, unfortunately, most, if not the 99% of individuals are subject to recency. They remember, you know, uh, exactly the opposite of uh, the way us old folks remember. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I could tell you what happened 30 years ago, right? As we get older, our memories work that way, and investors, would be best served if they acted that way, remembering their history and forgetting what happened in the last few weeks, months, or even years. Uh, So what they end up doing is watching what did well in the recent past and then buying high when expected returns are low, and they watch what did poorly and sell after the prices are now down and valuations are low and expected returns are high. So how does that translate? Well, over the very long term, U.S. and international stocks have pretty much same returns, and international, uh, sorry, emerging markets have higher returns. But in the last eight years, the U.S. has far outperformed. And investors think eight years is like infinity, when you and I know eight years doesn't mean anything, and they ought to know that, too, because as a good example, from 2000 to 2009, the S and P returned minus one percent a year, or lost roughly nine percent over the period. So, but that didn't mean you should abandon stocks. So, but the last eight years, international is underperformed, so they want to abandon it. So, let me throw this question out, and you obviously uh, are a highly knowledgeable investor uh, for the, per- the five-year period uh, that preceded this most recent period. So, two thousand and three. Through 2007, the S&P 500 did very well, much better than historical averages. It returned something like 84%. How much did the DFA Emerging Market Value Fund return in that same five-year period?
1: Well, I know over the 10-year period, um, it was well over 200%. So um, I don't know over that five-year period. Take a guess. I'm gonna say uh, if the U.S. did 80% over that five-year period, uh, emerging markets. I know the emerging markets did very well over the ten-year period, so I'm gonna say I don't know 100%. All
3: right. So the emerging market value fund for 2003 through seven was up 545%. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> the point of the story is this, right? When why did they do so well? Because the valuations at the end of O two were incredibly no. low, and the world didn't collapse and valuations back went up, and people forget that. On the other hand, your clients, I'm sure, were benefiting, because in '03 you would have been rebalancing because they had underperformed and bought them. And then over the next five years, you would have been taking some of those chips off the table. So even though they didn't do so well, you already had those big profits and actually sold some and actually lost less. Now you want to be buying more. Because everyone else is dumping this stuff. Clearly, it makes no sense to buy high in 07 because they did great, and that's exactly what happened. Money was flowing in, chasing those returns. Now those same people who bought high when expected returns were lower are panicking and selling exactly at the wrong time, and that's why Warren Buffett says once you have ordinary intelligence, and he means an IQ of like 80, (laughs) You know, it is those who get good results, it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. It has to do with discipline and sticking to your plan. Uh, What I would try to do is get people to at least globally market cap weight. So the U.S. today is roughly 50% of the global market cap. Uh, The average U.S. investor only has 10% international when they should have 50%. Uh, So I try to push people to get as close as they can to 50% and if they do that they will raise their expected return quite a bit. Uh what's important to understand is this, the high valuations in the US do not mean that stocks are overvalued, it means that the market thinks they're relatively safe uh and at least compared to international stocks so you get a low expected return. Uh international markets don't it doesn't mean they're cheap. Uh, and that they're a good buy in that sense of cheap. It means they're cheap because people think they're risky, and you have higher expected returns. But it does mean this. If you want higher expected returns, the place you should be looking is international and especially emerging markets, not putting your money into U.S. dividend-paying stocks or utilities or REITs. In fact, REITs are probably about the worst possible asset class now for investors to look at, and the reason is simple, the way you forecast REIT returns is this. You take the current dividend yield, which I think is about down to as low as 3 and a quarter percent, and then you have to either add or subtract the historical real growth in earnings. And while stocks in general real earnings grow at about 2% a year, the real growth in REIT earnings is minus 2%. So basically, and actually it's been close to a minus three over the last 50 years, so your expected real return is, is lower than it is on CDs. Yeah, REITs, to me, are the riskiest investments, or at least among them right now, as you can get a higher expected return by investing in a 10-year CD with a hell of a lot less risk.
1: Larry, I know you got to run... Uh thank you great information. Uh we will talk to Larry again uh real soon. We got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth.
0: This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson, Alan Clopine here, hanging out, wrapping the show up. Um, if you have questions um, about anything that um, you know, Swedroe can get a little technical.
2: Yeah, he's very good, but she really, and in a lot of cases, our listeners are driving and they can't pay, you know, super close attention, and sometimes it's uh,
1: it gets a little tricky, doesn't it? A little bit. Yes. I mean, it's easy, right? <laughs>
2: it should be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So, um, go to our website, purefinancial.com. Go to the um, iTunes too. If you ever want to replay uh, any of our shows, uh, you can go to iTunes or go to purefinancial backslash iTunes. You can go to our website and then just get caught up there as well. Uh, if you like the show, you know, give us a comment and say, hey, you guys um, suck or you guys are okay.
2: Yeah, you're okay if it's a bad comment. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Honesty is the best policy. I, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, bring it
1: on that's fine. tell us what you think yeah tell us, that, uh, that's the only way we get better at tell it. us how to improve I'm not a millennial where you <laughs> yeah, just what, gotta powder me with flowers
2: <laughs> if I if I'm terrible tell me I'm terrible you're willing to take construct, construct constructive, constructive criticism, criticism yes I, I took to
1: constructive say. criticism for many many years from my uh, father yes every day of Got my it. life and that's <laughs> Got it. So, I'm pretty good with it. I got pretty thick skin. Yeah, you do. You do. Because, good. Alan, we've been doing this ten years. And yes. We, we sometimes the show's awful. <laughs> I'm gonna just say you're <laughs>
2: being very honest today, aren't you?
1: Yes, I am. Oh, uh, couple of things. I'm gonna rattle through. You got? Well, you got something. Don't you want to talk about your CPA survey or something? I
2: will if you want me to. Sure.
1: I've got retirement
2: tips from retired CPAs. Okay. And this is CPAs two CPAs, but I think there's some relevance for all of us. And these are CPAs that have retired, and they kind of have gone through the process. And it's like, gosh, what could we have done to do a better job? And the first one is... Save more. Uh, evaluate your budget realities and plan early, which is the same as save save more.
1: Well, I think the budget reality is so key. How many times have we seen individuals come into our office that say, yeah, I... Spend about forty thousand dollars a year, yes, and they make like three hundred
2: thousand dollars a year, and there's nothing saved. No savings, so we know they're spending after taxes probably one eighty, right, right, one seventy at least. So yeah, get realistic on your budget. Uh, take a look at your bank statement. Maybe you've got Quicken, maybe not, but but try to figure out where that money's going and what kind of retirement lifestyle you want, and then start figuring out a savings plan. Start early. We all know about that.
1: You know, and then that's controlling the things that you can't control. Yeah, that's right. Right. You you can control your savings versus spending and that's key. That is key. Here's
2: the here's the second one. Interestingly enough, this is CPAs to CPAs that know about numbers meet with a financial planner. So the CPAs are saying, you know what? We know numbers, but we we're not necessarily great at financial planning. So meet with a financial planner so that it, if nothing else, you can find out whether your plans are are going to be sustainable, whether you really are on track.
1: Got an analogy for you.
2: Okay. Right. Not
1: using a financial advisor. I, I, I don't like using analogies where you got use financial advisors because it's pretty self-serving. It is. But what the hell. Not using a financial advisor is like hiking in a strange area without a guide. Okay. Let's assume you're lost in the forest and nighttime is falling. You are two hours from nowhere and those noises start kicking in. It is dark as it can be. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a compass and a map or a guide? Yeah, a guide for sure. Right? Especially
2: when it's dark and there's sound, noises. <laughs> noises. <laughs> I only backpacked one time by myself. And you know, you're asleep or you're trying to go to sleep. I and,
1: wouldn't and, even backpack in my backyard.
2: Well, I, I used to backpack a lot in my 20s. But anyway, one time by myself, one night, and I can't tell you, like 2 a.m., All you look up and there's these trees swaying in the wind, and you hear all these sounds, and you go, oh my God, I can't wait till dawn. So five thirty AM I got up and hiked out of there. <laughs> Have you ever seen Into the Wild?
1: Yes. Love that movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. And the guy's eating the berries thing that killed him. But yeah, he was right? like only just down the hill from civilization. Right, right. Yeah. He got all turned around and lost living in that camper. Yes. Yeah, into the wild. So Joe, here's another one.
2: Uh consider working part time. Right? And this can really help so a lot of folks that want to retire, maybe they want to retire at sixty-two. But they're not ready for, you know, full retirement age for Social Security and Medicare. They need a little extra income. In fact, if you delay collecting your Social Security, you can get a lot more benefit over time. So that's, uh, you know, that's not a bad idea. And the other things that uh, CPAs are recommending to other CPAs, and I think this is relevant for everybody, which is staying involved. Uh, if you if you are have a professional organization that you're involved with with your career maybe you still stay involved maybe you mentor younger professionals and you volunteer for causes that you care about and I think that's so key we talk so much about finances and savings and budget and are you gonna run out of money do you have enough money but it's also equally important to fill your time with meaningful pursuits because that's what keeps you young you wanna keep growing even though you're retired very very important
1: Yeah, I mean, we find that often, is that, all right, well, a lot of times people lose their sense of purpose, right? Yeah, right. Because their social circles are people that they work with. Sure. And once they retire, those social circles all of a sudden kind of dissipate.
2: And we do find out it tends to be tougher on the men than the women. Yes, it does. Yes, and we have... some depression in some of the men after retirement
1: yes and the divorce rate is pretty high in couples in their 60s
2: yes because now all of a sudden they're together it's, yeah, like, it's like ooh, really is that what
1: you're like, <laughs> I'm like who the hell is this person
2: <laughs> anyway there's... you
1: annoyed me but only for like a couple hours a week yeah now you're annoying me like eight hours a day that's right it's over <laughs> I'm done. I can't Get the hell do out this. of here. I, all I see is another 30 years of this. <laughs> yes, I this. can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> I'd much rather die alone. That's what I'm saying to you right now. And then uh, and then you get divorced, and then you wish you hadn't. Yeah, exactly. Right? Damn it. What did I do? Do <laughs> You think they'll take me back?
2: <laughs> yeah, us men. You know, we're Whatever. <sighs> So those are my retirement tips from retired CPAs. Well, that was great, Alan. Yes, I know you liked
1: it. Yes, I, I think I'm going to make sure I apply those. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You've probably, these are all brand new. You never heard of I, any th- of these, right? Never. No. Actually, save more. Said, Spend break, less. Plan, get say, a plan. Yeah, get a, get a plan. Talk to a financial planner. Consider working full time. Save early. Yeah, that's, that's break, uh, news, news
1: breaking. Yes, Andy. right there. Wow. All right, we gotta get the heck out of here. Um, if let's see here, I was gonna do one more stupid analogy. Oh, okay. We got got another minute or so. Well, if you can find it. Let's see. Well, I, I kind of packed everything up because I thought your little CPA thing <laughs> was gonna go for the entire end of the show.
2: Well, you know CPAs were direct and to the point. There's not a lot <sighs> of fluff here.
1: There's not. Um, all right. Well, okay. I got uh, money. Is like a bar of soap. Okay. The more you handle it, the smaller it gets. Yes, I agree with that. Right? Okay. Uh, All right. Well, when it comes to planning for your retirement, you know, what you have now versus what you actually need are probably two totally different things. What you have now is a bunch of random statements in a brokerage account and or a 401k plan, 403b, and there's no rhyme or reason how everything works together. I think we can agree that's a recipe for disaster. What you need is a plan, a plan that will provide income and retirement while reducing your risk, a plan that will wring every nickel out of your Social Security benefits, a plan that would help you pay fewer taxes so you could keep more money for yourself plus so much more.